Awesome. Great, great job, you guys. Would you help me and thank our musicians? Yeah. Awesome. Great. Well, it is awesome to be together this morning, and happy Easter, and we just want to say um, just welcome to each one of you. It's, it's truly a privilege for us to be able to come together this morning and to celebrate this historical event that really changed everything, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and so it's with a lot of joy uh, that we come here this morning and pack into this place and um, sing praises to a God who's incredibly, incredibly worthy. Um, in so many ways, Easter is about a new start. Uh, just to kind of sum Easter up and what it means to us, you can think of it with this very simple sentence here, we can be made new. That's what Easter means. It means that you and I can be made new, that, that the resurrection changes everything. I love Josh's story and how he put it so well. I'm grateful that he had the courage to share it. Um, but I love he, how he painted that picture of Sometimes you and I, we can be kind of like that child, and uh, we can take our best swings at God, and, and, and maybe, it's, maybe it's blatant, or maybe it's even more subtle, um, where we just don't pursue God. We just don't embrace His love and, and His grace. But what we celebrate today on Easter is that we can be made new, that in, in spite of anything we might do, that God so patiently looks at each and every single one of us and he says, I love you, and I'm waiting on you, and I'm here for you, and I extend to you newness, a new start, a new way. I love it. Um, I want to begin this morning by reading to you the account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But before I do that, I want to summarize some of the events that led up to it. And the reason why is I was having a conversation with somebody this week, and they said, you know, as a child, um, I would attend uh, church with my family on Christmas and on Easter. And they said, you know, that was okay. And I heard a lot of messages. It's pretty predictable what the guy's going to talk about on those two days, right? Um, so they heard a lot of messages on the birth of Christ and on the resurrection of Jesus. Um, but they said, you know, I didn't get anything in between. And they said, now knowing who he is and experiencing life with him, they said, I've missed out on, on so much, just kind of doing a flyby on that. And so I want to spend just a little bit of time on that before we get to this story. As a church, um, we look deeply into the events leading up to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The church in general calls uh, it Good Friday, where we really reflect. This place was packed out on Friday night as, as we were reflecting on the death of Jesus Christ. It was, it's called Good Friday uh, because of what it means for us. It is good. It's good for us. But it was a horrific day for Jesus Christ. It was horrific. The events leading up to the cross, the scene is that Jesus is arrested, um, He's taken by these Roman soldiers, he's, he's, um, he's beaten, he's whipped, he's spit on. He, they put a crown of, of thorns on his head. Yesterday I was just walking out in this little forested area, I got a little thistle in my leg, and I thought, ow, that really hurts, you know? Think about that. I, sometimes I take it too lightly. They put a, thor a, a crown of thorns on his head. The road to the cross was anything but pleasant. It was physically, physically brutal. But even beyond that, and we can't even fully wrap our minds around this, we can't even fully understand it, even beyond that was the gruesomeness that Jesus Christ was going to bear the sin of all mankind. That was the height of it. That was the, that was the most immense thing in that moment was that Jesus wasn't just enduring physical pain, but Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was, he was enduring the sin of all mankind. And so after he's put on the cross, he's put in a tomb and this man of, of wealth and influence requested that he be able to put him in this tomb that he had purchased. And then three days later, we get to this scene. Here it is. It says that after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. 
There was a violent earthquake, and for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook, and they became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus. Just imagine this moment. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Now I have told you. And so the women, they hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Imagine the amount of joy they had. And they ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly, though, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him. And they clasped his feet and they worshipped him. Here we are now 2,000 years later and we're worshipping him. The natural response that day when these people saw the resurrected Jesus Christ, the natural response, it was one of worship. It was one of, I adore you. And the reason why is because these, when, they were, when they saw Jesus, it confirmed things that had become a doubt for them. They doubted, okay, now who is he? I mean, he was alive and he said all those things, but now, now he's dead. But when they saw him, it changed everything. This is why Christians all over the world today are pausing. It's because he was resurrected. It's because people saw him. Uh, Christians get so excited about Easter, and they get so excited about Easter because they know if they've experienced the grace and the mercy of God through Jesus, they, they know that it really it changes everything. Maybe you were invited by one of them even here this morning. This is why as a church, uh, we look at our city and we look at our world and we say, we want to do everything humanly possible to help people find and follow Jesus Christ. There's nothing better that we could do, nothing more exciting. You know that feeling when you just have something really good and you want to give it to somebody else? Anybody like those little peeps that you get at Easter time and the kids? Yeah, you get a whole pack of those. I mean, you don't eat the whole pack yourself, do you? Don't answer that question. Yeah, you, you don't want to lie in church, you know. But here's the deal. You get something you really like. What do you do? You give it away, right? I mean, you, you pass it on. I was at a funeral this week of this great man of God. And, uh, and this funeral was all about one thing. There was, it was very clear. He had spent a lot of time preparing for what would happen at his funeral. He wanted people to know who Jesus was. He didn't want anybody to leave his funeral without knowing how they could know the God of the universe. And so with everything in that funeral, it all pointed to Christ. And here's what this man knew. He, he knew, I can't take my car. I can't take my house with me when I die. I can't take my trophies. I can't take any of my accolades with me. But I can do this. I can help people know him. I can help people uh, go where I'm going. Months ago, we began to pre prepare for this service, this Easter weekend. And we asked a very simple question. We asked the question, what Im impact does Easter have on the lives of people that we don't want them to miss? I mean, if there's just, if we would say, what's the one thing we just don't want people to miss? And if they missed it, it would wreck us. We won't sleep well tonight if they miss it. If it's unclear, we're going to be in trouble. We don't want anyone to miss it. What is it about Easter also that elicits so much celebration? And it came down to this. One person spoke up and said, you know what, Easter, the reality of this, if Easter is this, it's that we can be made new. It's that Jesus Christ, that he changes lives. It's that Jesus gives us new beginnings, that we don't have to stay where we currently are, but he 
progresses us on. It's, it's that Jesus Christ gives us a new way to think about eternity, to embrace it. Gives us a new way to approach this life. The scriptures put it like this in 2 Corinthians. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation, this new life, this new beginning, the new creation, it has come. The old is gone, but the new, it is here. It's right here. It's a new beginning he offers us. A few weeks ago, I was putting our kids to bed, and we were on vacation and so the sleeping arrangements were a little bit different, and they were all uh, in the same room, which is great for fun, but horrible for sleeping, you know? And so I'm putting them to bed, and, and I got done and started to head down the stairs, and our seven-year-old daughter piped up, and, and, and she said, Dad, how do you know it's true? Now, I thought, now this is one of two things. Either this is a really good question that I need to take time to answer, or this is a very clever way to get this pastor dad to prolong bedtime, Right? But I was very interested. So I walked back up the stairs and I said, I said, Ashlyn, what do you mean? How do we know it's true? What do you mean? What are you talking about? And she said, well, how do you know Jesus is true? And how do you know that the, that the Bible is true? And at this point, I'm thinking, this is such a clever question, but you've got me like a puppet on a string, you know? And so I, I began to talk to her, but I thought about this. How do you know it's true? That's a great question. That's a phenomenal question. It's not just a question that my seven-year-old has had. It's a question that we all wrestle with. This is the kind of question that in Jesus' day, when they saw Jesus alive and well, and then they saw him go to the cross and he died, they would have been filled with doubt. They would have been uh, troubled. They would have been overwhelmed with it. Here he was. He promised all, he said all these things, but now he's dead. Is it really true? It was so much of a, a, a huge thing for them to know, okay, is Jesus really God? I mean, that's who he claimed that he was. And when the resurrection happened, when he appeared to them, it took away all mystery. The resurrection, it sealed the deal. It changed everything. This morning, we're going to look at a few verses that um, took place uh, shortly after Jesus was crucified. And these are written by this guy by the name of Paul. Now, the thing that I love about going to Paul's writings is Paul was the real deal. Uh, Paul was not a guy that didn't have any skin in the game. Paul was a guy that many people who knew him would have said, there was an old Paul and then there was a new Paul. There was an old Paul and that Paul was passionate about one thing and that was eliminating people who were followers of Jesus Christ. He was leading efforts, leading charges to take them out. That was his call. That's what he was about. But then Jesus Christ got a hold of Paul, and it changed him. And so when we look at the, the writings of Paul that, he, that we're going to see here today, you know that he's not coming at it from this perspective of kind of like a casual reporter on, hey, here's some things that happened in, in history. No, Paul is coming at it with a, as a guy that's got a lot of skin in the game. He experienced Jesus Christ and what he means for our lives. And so he writes this letter. He writes this letter to this church, this group of people that he dearly loves in 1 Corinthians, and, and he wants them to know that, I, he's like, I just don't want you to have average, I want you to have what is best for you. And so Paul cuts right to the chase, and he makes it very clear to them. He makes the essentials, he boils it right down, and Paul gives the essentials of the gospel, the good news about how you can know God, but right in the midst of that, as a part of that, Paul knows this, all of Christianity, it pivots on, it all turns right on the resurrection. 
And so the Apostle Paul goes into that because he knows that without the resurrection, if the resurrection is not true, then Christianity is nothing but um, just religious philosophy, human jargon, that kind of thing. It means absolutely nothing if the resurrection isn't true. And so he starts out this way. He says, I want to remind you first of the gospel, the good news that I preached to you. And then he says this in verse 3. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Meaning that, hey, I received this. I once was like that, but you guys know me. You know who I was. This was of first importance, is of the most importance, because I personally, I've experienced it. And then he goes on. He says this, for what I received, I passed on to you, first importance. And then here it is, essentials of the gospel. How do you know God? That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He goes right to the heart of the gospel. He says that God, the God in heaven, didn't just look down and go, you know what, mankind, the world, they're in a rough place and and good luck to them. No, no, no. He says he died for our sins, meaning that Christ came right down into the middle of it. He's not a faraway God. He's, He's in it very intimately. He goes on and says this. Another essentials of the gospel. What happened to Jesus? It says that he was buried and then that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then Paul goes on, and this is so important, and he says, not only that, not only was he buried, not only did he rise from the grave, this is crucial, this was helpful, this is where where I went with Ashlyn, but he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then he appeared to the 12, and after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some of them have fallen asleep, they've died, and then Here it is, he appeared to James and then to all the apostles, and at last of all, he appeared to me also. In the book of Acts, it says that Jesus Christ, after he was crucified, after he rose from the grave, he didn't just show up and he was gone and a couple saw him. No, it says that he appeared over a period of 40 days. Many eyewitnesses. Imagine this, imagine that you or I have... um, been charged with a crime. We're not guilty of it, but we've been charged with it. And so we go to court. Now, if you and I go to court and we've got one witness with us, one eyewitness, and so we stand before the judge and the judge questions the eyewitness, and because we have one solid eyewitness that says, actually, I was with them, and so they weren't there, and so you can have total confidence, and here's who I am, blah, 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 that judge would likely say, because of that eyewitness, you're good. You you haven't committed that crime. Now imagine this, imagine if we filled the courtroom that day, not just with one, but we had a hundred eyewitnesses, and when the judge said, where was he, was he with that, was he involved in this, or was he not, and everybody went, no, like all together, the whole room, but not just the whole room, imagine if the eyewitnesses spilled out into the hallway, and there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them on our behalf. This is so huge. Jesus didn't just appear to one crazy, shady guy in town, you know, that kind of sees a lot of things. Jesus appeared to hundreds and hundreds of people, so much so that there were people, sane people, that ended up giving their lives, not for what they believed. People give their lives for what they believe a lot today, don't they? In the name of crazy, they do it. But these people gave their lives for who they saw. It was huge. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul says, everything hinges on it. He goes on in verse 14. He says this. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, he says, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. If nobody saw him, it's useless. And then he says this in verse 17. 
He says, and if Christ has not been raised from the dead, not only that, your faith, everything you put in your hope in, it's futile. And you're still in your sins. You think that you're forgiven. You're not forgiven. If the resurrection did not happen, you are not forgiven. But yet it did. And the fact that it did, the fact that he was seen, it changes everything. You might be here today and you'd say, I'm a person with shame and guilt in my life and I feel handcuffed to my past. And you would do anything to break the bonds. If the fact that he was raised from the dead means that he is truly the son of God, that what he said was true and you can be released, you can live a different life. You might go through life and you would say, you know what, I tried this career and that career. I thought it would all, once I got this and that, I thought I would have finally arrived. But now that I'm there and I've got the accolades and I've got the things around me and I'm still searching, I would say to you today, because of the resurrection, you can look at the teachings of Jesus Christ and you can live with more purpose and more calling in your life, a calling that is truly noble from the God who loves you. And then he says this in verse 20. Paul writes, he says, it's not up for grabs anymore. He says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, of those who have died, meaning this. This time of year, you know how plants are kind of coming out of the, the mulch, you know, they're coming up a little bit. And you get that little stubble. What is that? It's a sign. It's a sign of something bigger to come. There's going to be a flower that's going to, that's going to pop, that's going to bloom out of that. Paul's saying Jesus Christ, when he was raised from the grave, he's the first fruits, he's the sign of something that's yet to come. Meaning this, you and I, we will one day, we'll be raised, right? And, and we'll stand before God. He's saying Jesus Christ, he's the first fruit, he's the sign of that, of what's to come. Our daughter Ashton, when she asked that question, Dad, how do you know it's true? You know, we could have told her things like, well, you know, that. The, the tomb was empty. I mean, the tomb was guarded by soldiers, and we could have gone into that. I mean, that's documented in history. We could have said, Ashton, there's no way that Jesus would have survived the scourging. There's no way that he would have uh, uh, survived the cross. It's, just, it's impossible. The theory that Jesus was just maybe asleep, it, there's no way. Jesus was, we could have gone down a, a several different rabbit trails with her, but the main reason, the most convincing reason, and what we said to her was this, we said, People saw him. People saw him after he died. What is the greatest thing that you can bank on? It's that people saw him. His teachings were great. And many people followed him because of that. Many people believed he was the Messiah. But it was all confirmed when they saw him. It makes sense why people have given their lives for him. He was a good teacher. He was a good leader. But he's worthy of you and of me entrusting our lives to him not just on those merits, but because he truly was the son of God, because people saw him. So I said to Ashlyn, I said, Ashlyn, it's no secret. Hundreds of people saw Jesus Christ. He rose from the, the grave. We can be confident in that. People saw him. And then I said, now get to sleep. Mess around. <laughs> now Paul made it clear in this passage, didn't he? He made it clear, these are the essentials of the gospel. Very clear. But one thing that I, I think we need to also ask this morning, again, we asked that question, what would it do to us if people weren't clear on, on what for this Easter service? And so I want to make this incredibly clear to you. How do you embrace the gospel? That's the truth of the gospel. That's the key components of it. But how do you embrace it? 
Um, so let me just uh, draw this for you. I'm not much of an artist, but I'll, I'll do my best here. Imagine that this is us over here. Nice little skinny people. You can draw yourself however you want, you know. And over here we've got God. And God, we've, we've, we've heard this this morning. God is for you, right? A God wants relationship with you, right? But we've, we've, we've heard this morning that sin enters the picture. Some sins are subtle. Some sins are overt, right? We just know it. We're blatantly wrong. We're blatantly going away from the ways of God. Other sins are subtle. It's just we're not embracing him. That's wrong, right? We've all got that in our lives. And we know this about the gospel, that Jesus Christ, what did God do? Since God loved us, what did he do? It says that he sent Jesus Christ right down into the middle of it, right? Right down into the middle. God wasn't up in heaven saying, you know what? I hope they figure it out. No, God sent his son Jesus Christ right down into the midst of it. He lives amongst his people. He's perfect. He had to be perfect. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been a sacrifice that would be worthy for anyone since. And so he lives this perfect life. He teaches us what does it mean to live? What does it mean to experience a full life? And at the appointed time, he goes to the cross. He goes to the cross, and in doing so, he provides a way for you and I to know God. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people, I think most people, live with this mindset that I can get to God on my own. Um, many world religions would, would teach this. They would say, yeah, you could uh, give some money. You could uh, say a creed. You could go on a pilgrimage. You could bow five times. And, and, and you can just in your mind go, okay, I hope then that I reach the quota. The quota, by the way, is not known. How much do you have to do to be right in the sight of God? And you might have even had these thoughts. You thought, okay, I just got to fly a little bit straighter. I just got to, I got to do the right thing. I got to play my A game in this life so that at the end of the day, I'll be able to stand before God and I hope that God will forgive me. I hope that the scales will be, uh, they'll be evened out. My good will cancel the bad. But that's not the case. God says, no, no, no. Biblical Christianity says right in the middle of sin, it says this, you cannot do it on your own. There is no humanly way possible. The only way to have a right relationship with God, it is not about you. And I'll tell you, when I realized this, what a sense of relief it should give each and every one of us. There's nothing you and I can do, but we get to God only through Jesus Christ. And when we get to God, when, we're, when we put our faith in Christ, God looks at us and he says, you know what, I'm not, you're not just anybody to me. You're my child. I'm going to interact with you the way that, in a way that shows you that I love you. I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to direct your life because I, I came for you. And then he says this, not only that, but you're, you're, you're an heir. And then I love this. This is the old, but God says, no, I'm, I'm going to make you in Christ. I'm going to make you new. You don't have to be in bondage to the things that you used to. When Christ lives in you, it's new. It's different. You're living in a, a different realm. I remember sitting on the stairs of Iowa State's campus as a college student, and somebody showed me something as simple as this. And I'll tell you what, it hit me like a freight train. And I remember just sitting there going, I, I can't believe this, because here's what I had done all my life to no one's fault but my own. I had said this. I thought, this is how you spell religion. D-O, it's all about me. It's about what I do. It's about, uh, okay, Jeff, you perform. It's, it's the performance track. And then when I learned that day that Christ stepped into the middle of it and that this is how you spell Christianity, 
It's done. It's not, it's not about me. I'm over here. I'll do the best I can, right? But here's the deal. At the end of the day, my eternity, it's not about me. It's about Christ. And I mean, that, that changed everything for me. I remember going home that day and to my dorm room, getting down on my knees and just crying out to God and saying, what a relief. It's not about me. It's about you. That's why today is such a huge day, the resurrection of Christ. Let me ask you, do you remember that movie, um, Saving Private Ryan? It came out years ago. Um, young Tom Hanks and, and Matt Damon. And, and the story, that's a gripping movie, true story. It's about heroism and sacrifice. Took place in World War II, and, and Private Ryan, he's out on the battlefield, but Private Ryan's three, only three other brothers, they've all died in the war, in World War II. And so this American officer is charged with this uh, mission to go in and get Private Ryan, to pull him out so that these parents don't have to hear the news that all four of their children have died in the war. And so this American officer goes into battle and he searches and searches through Normandy for Private Ryan and finally he finds him, but Private Ryan's in a situation where he's really holding the city. He's in a, a critical, at a critical point. And he says, I'm not going. No, no, I'm, I'm here. I'm with my guys. There's no way I'm going. So this officer says, okay, then I'll stay and I'll fight with you. He's going to fast forward through the movie. They're in this battle and and this American officer loses his life as he tries to save, as he saves Private Ryan. You get to the end of the movie, and Private Ryan, he's 70 years old now, and he's standing before this white tombstone, this cross, white cross, at Arlington Cemetery, and he's thinking about, this is the grave of of this American officer that gave up his life for it, and he's thinking, and he's there with his kids and his grandkids, his wife, and he thinks about this. He thinks, okay, every moment that I've had in this life, every embrace from my wife, every moment with my children and my grandchildren, everything I have, he points to this and he says, it's, it's, because, it's because this man was willing to give up his life. This man, this American officer was sent and he would have done anything to get me and he did. And he gave up his life for me. And he reflects on that. You've got to know this this morning. The central message of the gospel is this. God looked down from heaven and he said, I'm coming after you. And I'm going to do anything possible. I'm going to go to the extreme. I'm going to send my one and only son, Jesus Christ, because I love you. You matter to me. And so he does that. That's the gospel. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You matter to God. And so God sends his son, Jesus Christ. Now, you might be here this morning, and you might say, okay, that makes sense to me. Maybe it's a light bulb moment for you like it was for me. Um, but maybe you'd say, you know what, I've got more questions. I want to just encourage you about a, a, a gathering that we have here at Brookside called Explore. It's a place where you can come, and I want to challenge you to take this step if that's you this morning. It's a place where you can come, and you can get your questions answered in a very safe environment. Uh, this gal that recently went through it said this. She said, um, I quickly gained relationships, and it helped me process my faith journey. It's an environment where you're surrounded with people that are in the, in the same places. You no question is off limits. So I want to encourage you to check that out. But lastly, I want to ask you this question. I just want to leave you with this. Here it is. This is the question of Easter, I think. Have you been made new? Would you say that the gospel of Jesus Christ 
that it's, it's changed you? Would you say that you would say, this is how I spell Christianity. I don't spell it D-O anymore. I spell Christianity done. It's, it's not about me, but it's about what Christ has done for me. The Bible says this, anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's incredible news. So I would encourage you this morning, if you would say, you know what, I'm, I'm trusting in me. I'm on the performance track. I would encourage you to humbly say and call on the name of the Lord. It's as simple as a conversation. I think first of all, you say, you know what, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, please would you forgive me? And then I think you say, Lord, I trust in you. So today I just want to pray for us and maybe you would even be moved today to say, you know what, I don't want eternity to be up for games anymore. I don't want to be bondage to the things that I've always been bondage to. I want to live with calling. I want to live with clear purpose. So let me pray for us this morning. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you for the awesome message of Easter. And Lord, this morning, and you can just pray this in your, in your own heart, Lord, we just want to say to you, first of all, we want to say thank you. We want to say thank you for the fact that you died for us and that we can know you. And secondly, Lord, we want to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord, for the sin that I've committed. I'm sorry whether it's been blatant or denied or whatever, Lord. I'm sorry. I have lived apart from you. And then lastly, you can cry out to God and you can say, but now in this moment, on this unforgettable day for you, you can say, I trust in you. I put my faith in you. And when you do that, your heavenly father looks at you and he says, oh, my child, and he rejoices with you. Lord, thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen.